Hey everyone, my name is Antonia Mandulia and you're listening to That Hockey Chick. Welcome back to another episode of That Hockey Chick. Two major storylines this week for the Maple Leafs. We had some new additions to the Maple Leafs lineup, including Felino, Sandin, and Brooks making so much noise and contributing so much in this past week. Also, another huge storyline, Maple Leafs giving all of Leafs Nation, all of the league, actually, a glimpse into a brand new Maple Leafs team and a brand new Maple Leafs identity that we have all fallen in love with and we have all grown emotionally attached to this Maple Leafs team in the hopes that they keep that consistent. So we'll, we will be talking about those two major storylines in this episode. First, I wanted to touch upon some news going around the league and the hockey world. First off, upsetting news uh, about the women's worlds. They were cancelled this past week because of COVID and and all of that. They were supposed to be in Nova Scotia, so those were recently cancelled. The men's team named Luongo, uh, the men's tournament is still going on. They named Luongo as GM for Team Canada and Shane Doan will be the assistant GM and then the Olympic Committee uh, for Canada is going to be helping out as well, they said. But I mean, it's kind of upsetting. You know, the men's tournament gets to keep going, women's tournament doesn't get to keep going and there was, uh, you know, everyone was going off online, of course, and there was a lot of people referring to the restrictions that had actually been in place and the amount of quarantine and like safety protocols and everything before uh for teams before entering or before leaving their own country or wherever wherever each player was from before entering Nova Scotia um also before every day before entering the rink and and all this there were so many things in place and it's really disappointing that it got canceled. I'm not sure what the exact circumstances were. I know a lot of people are pointing to the fact that it's upsetting because you have women's tournaments like this being canceled. It doesn't do much for women's hockey in general and it doesn't help build the sport and all of that, which it's true. It really sucks. You know, We don't know if there were other you know, financials or things behind the scenes that put the tournament at risk as well. So not much to speak on there, but it is it is upsetting and I know it's probably really hard for the women's for the women players that were supposed to be playing in the tournament to now be looking at the men's tournament and seeing like, you know, they've they've been naming their captains and their assistant captains these past week. Uh this past week they've been naming the management teams, they've been, you know, gearing up to get started and then the second, you know, second later they they get canceled themselves so definitely hard hard to see that hopefully in the future things like this don't happen as often so moving on uh the nhl also recently said that jersey advertising could be coming as soon as the 2022-23 season so not next season but the season after nothing's been approved yet but that's kind of the the word going around and I actually talked about this in one of my first episodes. I'm not sure if it was the first, maybe it was the second, but I I talked about this uh, pretty early on and it was in regards to the fact that because uh, ticket revenues and ticket revenues are their largest source of revenue and considering obviously that, you know, some arenas are having people in, um, obviously not nowhere near what they used to be like and they're losing a lot of money, of course, and that this was a way to kind of compensate and cover for the lost revenues from the tickets. I mean, I get that they might have to, but I feel like there's, yeah, there's some teams that don't 
receive a lot of money anyway even when they do sell tickets so they're probably hurting a lot for revenues right now so i mean i understand where that comes from but i just i get if they have to do it for that reason it makes sense it's just going back to what i said so long ago i'm not a fan because this is just the beginning and once this starts it's just gonna like spiral out of control and you're gonna see advertising literally everywhere that you look and i'm not a fan of that because I know that the league most definitely does not need that much more money considering uh, how much they have but so yeah I'm not a fan of the the jersey advertising but we'll see where that goes I'm like almost certain that they're gonna go forward with it but really hoping that they're not going to so speaking on the NHL they have announced a targeted start date for next season it's targeted at October 12th and it by Announcing this date, it does look like the league will be getting back on track in terms of, you know, having a a normal or somewhat normal season. And training camps would also start on September 22nd. It's only about a week later than usual, so it's good to see that they are trying to or starting to get back on track. And then hopefully by the following season, it'll be, you know, an actual full, proper, non-interrupted season. Patrick Marlowe also made news this week. He uh, has passed Gordie Howe and has now played the most NHL games. And it's like over 1,700 games. I don't remember the exact number, but huge accomplishment for him. I love, you know, cheering on old Leaf, old Leaf players. And he was a, a really big, really big impact on the team. So it's great to see someone like him being able to accomplish something as big as that. Talking about old Leaf players, Jonathan Bernier on Saturday had an amazing game. He made 50 saves in the game that Detroit played against Dallas and almost held on to win. They lost 2-1 to in overtime, but that was like a huge game and so many people were talking about it. And I mean, 50 saves, that's, that's almost two games worth of saves that he's making. And that was, it sucks that his team couldn't, couldn't gather the win for him, but that's, that's amazing for him. Now on another topic, there have been a few teams that have clinched the playoffs this past week and a few teams that have been officially eliminated from the playoffs this past week. Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota have all clinched. And the West Division is the only division that that has those teams that have clinched. No other division has any clinched teams yet. And so now there's a battle in the West for the final spot between St. Louis, who has 46 points, San Jose with 41 and LA with 40 points respectively. So there's around I think there's somewhere between 8 to 10 games remaining, so it's going to be it's going to be a really tight race down the road for those for those three teams. In terms of those that have been eliminated, there's Buffalo, New Jersey, and Columbus have all been officially mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And I actually wanted to speak on Columbus. I hate to say it because if you've listened to previous episodes, I've praised uh, Tortorella in the past, so I hate to say it, but I think he's done. I think his time has come in Columbus, and everything that happened with Dubois, and then now with Domi, and Domi's been scratched for a few games in a row, and that was before they were eliminated uh, from the playoffs. D- um, Domi being scratched, that was before the elimination happened. Like, look, I'm I'm all for holding players accountable and, you know, I love when coaches do that. It even happened in the game on Saturday against Winnipeg, uh, Maurice Bench, Shifley. Like, I'm all for that. I love that, especially when they do something wrong and you're trying to show them, like, you do something wrong, you're going to be benched, and then if the team loses, it's on you. Like, I'm all for that stuff, but 
with Torts. I hate saying this again because I used to like his method of coaching and I still do. I still like his method of coaching and, and the benching and accountability and all that. I just, I think he took advantage of it and he ended up screwing himself over. Because when you're fighting for a playoff spot, you keep your guys in. Okay, maybe you bench them for a few minutes during the game to show them like you did something wrong. So now you're going to sit and you're going to watch and if you, the team gets scored on, it's your fault. Like that kind of thing. But when they're healthy and when they're a big a relatively big piece, Domi's a relatively big piece for the team, you don't scratch a healthy player. When they were that close to be eliminate to being eliminated from the playoffs, benching a perfectly healthy or sorry, scratching a perfectly healthy player, there's no need to do that. He took that Torts took that coaching style overboard and possibly cost the Blue Jackets their uh, their playoff run. So I think he's done. He did it to himself. And like I said, at first I agreed with the benching and everything, but he took it out of control. Like he took it to a, a whole other level and at some point it just became unnecessary. It's like, you know, there was so much talk about torts and stuff with when everything happened with Dubois and all that and everyone was kind of cutting him up. So I don't know if it got to his head that everyone was cutting him up and criticizing his coaching style that he kind of ended up going overboard because he was trying to prove that his coaching style was right. So I don't know if it was like his mindset or whatever, but he took it overboard and if Columbus management isn't fed up with him then there's something wrong with Columbus management because if I was even in that place I would definitely be considering severely considering letting go of torts because that's it's honestly it's so excessive now it's it's not even like it shouldn't even be tolerated by management or and especially because all these players were coming out saying that they were having so much trouble with him and that didn't really like it, like how he coached and like all that stuff. If your players are saying that to you and it's more than one player, don't you think that, you know, maybe there's actually something wrong with the coach? I don't know. So there's that. So that was all the news from around the league from this week. I hope you learned a bit from that little introduction segment. Coming up next, I will be recapping the least week going over major points of news and I will also start recapping the games from this past week. So stay tuned. So there's actually a lot of things that happened this past week. I wanted to start off with something that was announced sort of on Saturday during the second intermission of the Leafs game. So apparently um, it has been said and confirmed, they actually asked a few of the Leafs players about it after the game, that the Leafs players have decided or agreed to pull together uh, funds from their own salaries to give to the Marlies and the Marlies players because of their shortened AHL season and because those players got salary cutbacks or salary rollbacks, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so they asked them about it. Tavares had actually said that it was Spetz's idea uh, to kind of pull this pull this thing together and try and compensate those players for the shortened season. I really love this. I think it's great for any organization to be able to pull together and do something like this to support one another. And supporting one another has actually become a major theme. And it's one of the storylines for this week. I'm loving it. You know, they've started to... We, all, we always knew that they had 
a lot of chemistry and that the friendships and the bonds and stuff that they were really tight with the team that was something that even the players talked about so being able to actually see you know on the ice which I'll talk about later and you know off the ice being able to support one another like this I think it's a really really great for the players but it's also a really great image and a really great message for the organization to send as a whole so going from some great news to some not so great news Hyman is out for about two weeks he after the knee-on-knee collision in the game on Sunday against Vancouver it was super intentional by the way not going to be listening to anyone that says it wasn't because basically he realized that he couldn't keep up with Hyman skating up so he literally stuck out his leg like if you rewatch the video he stuck out his leg and they were showing comparisons to other knee on knees that got suspensions and it literally looked exactly the same as everything that those guys were doing like there's clear movement of the leg to stick it out on purpose you know when you do that what do you think is going to happen Like, I'd really like to know what he thought was going to come out of that. He did get five in a game, and he also got a two-game suspension, so there's that. So moving on with the bad news, Bogosian is also out for a minimum of four weeks with a shoulder injury after he went into the boards hard in Tuesday's game. It was really, really hard to see, so he's going to be out for a while. And he's supposed to, if it it is the minimum four weeks, he's supposed to be back before the playoffs start, so that's, that's bad news. It's also actually been kind of good news for San because he got a chance to slot in and he he did absolutely amazing there's no other way to say it which again I'll be talking about him a lot later one of the new additions to the lineup making a lot of noise I think he made the most out of all all of the new additions so there's that as well and then Thornton was also fined 3,000 for interference on Peralt in the Winnipeg game on Thursday I understand that there was a fine like a get if they want to find him okay but the issue which is the issue which has been the issue with the league, not only with the Leafs, not only with this division, with the entire, with all divisions, the entire league. There's no consistency. You want to call that uh, a, a penalty or whatever you want to find that, go ahead, because I can see why they would. It's just compared to other teams, other players, and other instances that are the same, they're not being fined for other people. So you look at McDavid. He made a really dirty play the other day. I think it was Edmonton versus Montreal. And he deliberately elbowed the guy in center ice in open ice puck nowhere in sight not even a penalty was called and if you if the refs didn't see that happen I don't know what to tell you there there was another one too I think it was Kalorn from Tampa against someone on Carolina I can't remember who and again there was nothing so you want to call these things and find the players for doing it that's totally fine go ahead and do that but make sure that you are doing it for everyone I mean with penalties calling penalties if you call a penalty in one game it's kind of hard for a ref to do the same in the other like on the spot like that but in terms of the fines those are those are reviewed like the day after so if you're reviewing a play like what Thornton did and you're finding him 3,000 how do you not review a play like what McDavid did or what Kalorn did and give them the same fine to me that makes literally no sense and there were also a couple hits thrown in Saturday's game when the Leafs played the Jets I'm pretty sure Tavares took an elbow to the face as well nothing called there no review there as of right now that I know of. So it's just that the inconsistency is so bizarre and it's so confusing because these things are reviewed the next day. It's not like it's it's not like calling a penalty where it happens in the moment. So just a little bit confused there. But anyway, so that's basically everything that happened this week. 
again, major news. We got to see Brooks, we got to see Sandin, we got to see Felino in for their first games, which I'll be talking about them independently as well later on, so stay tuned for that. But for now, coming up next, I will start recapping all of the games, beginning with the first one of the week on Sunday against the Canucks, so stay tuned. <laughs> Alright, so we know how this game turned out pretty much. Not not exactly what we were what we were expecting. So we lost this one in overtime. This one was also Robertson's last game of the week. Again, like I've said I said last week and like I've said before, he, Robertson does good, but he's not ready for a solid he's not ready to have a solid every game appearance. He needs a longer trial period, which we can't give him right now. We can't give him a trial period right now because we can't afford to because, number one, there's other guys that deserve priority and deserve to be in the lineup ahead of him. Number two, because, again, like I said, he doesn't have a solidified spot. He doesn't, you know, he can, he's shown up in the second line, the third line, the fourth line. He doesn't have, you know, that one spot and we can't afford to give him a trial period right now because, like I said, getting ready for the playoffs, you're trying to get your lines kind of permanent and, and fixed to what they're going to be like in the playoffs. So there's no room to really offer an extended trial period to someone like Robertson who needs the time to figure out what kind of player he is and where exactly he's going to fit. Because, you know, a lot of a lot of people were saying that he fits on the second with Tavares and Nylander. And while that might be true, he has not earned that solid spot and we don't have enough time to give him a chance to earn that solid spot because you have someone you have people like Hyman, Felino, and Galchenyuk who have already more than proved either of them can take that spot. So you can't just, you know, take one of them out and move them somewhere else just to give him a shot. And again, it's the second line, Tavares and Nylander, they can't be, you know, with someone who's on that trial period. They have to be with a permanent guy so that they can start gelling together, which they have been these past few games having Galchenyuk there. So that's a bit on Robertson. So for Nylander, this was also his first game back. He got his 100th goal and he also got an assist and the assist was to Matthews on the power play which was the first power play goal that we had had in a while. So, while Nylander got a goal and assist, he's also basically credited with reviving the power play in his return. So it's it's safe to say that we missed him. Now, on that topic with the power play in this game, they ended up front-loading the power play, which is what I had mentioned last week. And, you know, I said I had said previous to that that it was the style that needed to change, which still remains true. But then last week, I... I you know, recognize and acknowledge that because of the urgency as of late, front-loading might be a good idea, and that's what they did, and it it worked out, they got the goal, and, you know, later in the week, we saw that there's still a lot of power play trouble, there's still a lot of work. We know what can be done, because we saw it happen twice in two games, so we know what can be done, but now that we've seen them actually front-load the power play and put all of that skill on one power play unit if those people and that much skill on one unit can't get a goal now it's the style that needs to change because you have Matthews you have Marner you have Nylander you have Tavares like if none of those guys can can get a goal or connect a pass there's something else in regards to the style and honestly I think it's just the entrance the entrance into the zone on a power play is absolutely atrocious doing these drop passes and trying one player trying to deke in it doesn't work it hasn't worked for the last what is I don't even know it's like 
feels like it's been two months now, stop doing it. Do what I suggested last week. Just make w- literally one simple pass in. Honestly, at this point, just try the dump and chase because you might as well try everything you can. Who knows what's going to click at this point. So that also needs to change. This was also the game where the puck had possibly, I'll say, crossed the line and it ended up being inconclusive, whatever they called it, no goal. I think it went in and that's not just because I'm biased to the Leafs. Holtby, I'm pretty sure it was Holtby, he had literally pulled the puck we saw him scoop the puck out of the net after the whistle went and it was obvious that he literally pulled he scooped the puck out of the net and Holpe was in the net himself so you know common sense would mean that the puck is in there too Marner hat was actually pointing at the puck in the net before the whistle went and the ref was right beside Marner so I find it hard to believe that he didn't like move to see it or that he didn't see it And, you know, like, I understand when they're reviewing it. If you don't see the puck crossing the line, like, you can't call it. I I understand that. It's just the fact that it should have been called on the ice. And the ref, you know, maybe should have opened his eyes and looked in the net to where Marner was pointing to see that the puck was in the net. So I understand, like, obviously through video review, they wouldn't have been able to tell. But also on that topic, with all the tech and stuff that the NHL has in its hands... You know, they track player speed, they track puck speed or whatever they do, all that stuff that they do. How do they not have a way to see if a puck crosses the line yet? That should be their next move as as a league. You know, try to find a way to, I don't know, put a camera somewhere where they're able to see in situations like that if a puck has actually crossed the line. I'm sure with all the stuff that they have, they can definitely find a way to make that happen. So I would highly suggest that the NHL take a look into that. And last thing I wanted to talk about for this game, which I was, like, really confused. People were getting mad at the Leafs for playing the game that Sunday and at Nylander for celebrating his goal, which makes no sense. Number one, it was up to the league to go ahead with the game. And no matter what the Leafs team said, they don't have authority over the league to just say, we're not playing the game. If the league says you're playing, the Leafs are going to play the game. You know, I agree it shouldn't have been played. I don't know why they postponed it from Saturday to the Sunday. I don't know, like, what difference a day makes. So I agree it shouldn't have been played, but it's not the Leafs' decision. So I don't know why people were getting mad at the team for playing a game that they were told to play by the league, which... Anyway, that's number one. Number two, with them getting mad at Nylander, it doesn't make sense for starters. It was his 100th goal, so I don't know. You you score your 100th goal, I think you're going to be pretty excited. That's, That's kind of a milestone. And... Second, he was also returning from a COVID quarantine and it was his first game back as well. And I know that it's it's nothing really compared to because he had negative tests all the way. So it's nothing compared to what some of the Canucks players went through. But, you know, he was he was off too because of because of COVID and, and quarantine and stuff. So it was his first game back. And like, I don't know, I just think a lot of people took that like blew that out of proportion, <laughs> blaming it on blaming playing the game on the Leafs and then hating them for every goal they scored. Didn't make sense. But anyway, of course, though, still, still good on the on the Canucks to be able to come to come through with a win after being off for so long. That's definitely you know don't want to downplay that because that that's definitely huge for them. So the next game was Tuesday against the Canucks as well. Again, not a great game. These two games were were throwaways for sure. This was also Sandin's first game in, and uh, I'll talk about him in a bit. But it was his first game, and it was. It was very impressive. His first game was very impressive. Riddick was horrible this game. 
he let in a lot of weak goals, which cost us the game. I'm just going to flat, like, outright say it. He cost us the game. The team in front was playing really well. The end of the second, beginning of the third, the Leafs were flying. They were doing so good, had a lot of control. And then Riddick let in those two let in those two goals. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were both five-hole goals. And it deflated the Leafs. We became deflated, unable to claw our way back. It was, it was a really bad goaltending game. Probably... I'm going to say it was probably the worst that we've seen all season. All right, so let's move on to the series against the Jets. Two games, Thursday and Saturday. This is, these, I don't know, these last two games, like, I don't even have words to describe. The team just took, like, a total, they totally flipped. From the series against the Canucks to the series against the Jets, it was, like, two totally, completely different teams. And everyone, like what I said at the beginning, everyone fell in love with the team that we saw on Thursday and Saturday because... This these last two games were probably the most complete hockey 60 minute full game that they've ever played all season. It was without Hyman, was without Freddie. You know, it was honestly it was just and also without Bogosian. It was also it was honestly just it was just an amazing two games. It was a real playoff atmosphere and honestly the main point to take from these two games is I don't know what it was that sparked them and caused them to play so tough and play the way that they did but they need to not lose that spark and they need to keep it and they need to make it consistent because that is the exact way exact way that they have to play in the playoffs obviously with the addition of a better power play because power play was still atrocious but that's the minus that that's the exact way that they have to play in the playoffs and I just really hope that they're able to keep that going huge credit to Thornton Simmons and Felino and Sandin for being the ones to kind of stand up and throw their body around, throw hits, you know, fire up the team. That was great. So, and actually, before I move on, we can all you can also tell how much we got under the Jets' skin because they were trying to sell every single thing, and I can't remember what it was but one of the Jets players had hit one of our guys I can't remember who it was whoever it was on our team they like whacked him or not even whacked him just like tapped him or whatever with their stick and the Jets player literally grabbed his arm grabbed his wrist and started like you know started complaining about it to the ref and it's like you're trying they're literally trying to sell every single thing that we were doing every single hit that we made they were just trying to sell everything and you could tell by them doing that you can tell that we were getting under their skin and that's exactly what they have to do moving forward and moving into the playoffs because teams aren't going to expect it from us the Jets definitely did not expect it from us and that's we got to keep that going so Looking at the game on Thursday against Winnipeg, this one was Felino's first game. He also got his first point. It was an assist. Sandin was also in with Dermot because of uh, Bogosian's injury. Mikhaev uh, had also actually been out the past couple of games. He was he's been a he was a game time decision for the last few games. So Engvall drew in in his place this game. And like I said, intensity and toughness was increasing this game, which we all know led into the next game, which was on Saturday. We all we also all know that. This game on Thursday earned the Leafs the label of being a dirty team. Who knew? <laughs> Who ever knew that the Leafs that we know would be labeled as a dirty team? When I saw that, I was like, excuse me, are we talking about the same team? Because I don't know who you're talking about. So it was pretty funny that, that the Jets called us a dirty team. And 
the main thing that happened in this game was obviously there were a few hits here and there which was finally nice to see uh but it was also with simmons when he was sticking up for campbell and he grabbed whoever it was can't remember and just stood up for campbell and that's something that's been missing for so long the amount of times the our goalies i think anderson got the worst of it i don't know why but anderson always got the worst of it with anderson campbell with hutch with riddick with all of them they always received the absolute worst and the team never stood up for them it was just really refreshing to see simmons do what he did and like i said i just hope that that continues and then it passes on to all of the other players and saying hey you got to stop standing and watching. You got to actually do something. Speaking of goalies, Campbell actually played amazing this game and the next game. He had a, a really great series for us. Sandin and Brooks, uh, like I said, every game that they played in this week, they did absolutely amazing, contributing so much. They were so noticeable on the ice and not for bad reasons, all for positive reasons. They need to stay in the lineup after, even after all injured parties return, after Bogosian returns. Dermot's got to go. After Hyman returns, it's got to be Mikhaev because it's Engvall now. That's the odd guy out. It's got to be Mikhaev because Brooks needs to stay. And lastly, this game, mo mostly the game on Saturday, but this game, we got a glimpse at Thornton's new role and I talked about it last week. I'm going to touch upon it later again as well. I'm loving his new role though, like as the gritty tough guy and just how the Leafs were able to change the way that they used him when they realized that his first line presence wasn't going to be a thing anymore instead of just letting Thornton you know glide and just ride the rest of the season in the bottom of the lineup they gave him a purpose they said you're not first line anymore we're not going to use you like that because we got other guys that can do that we need you here instead we need you to be this type of player they gave him that purpose instead of him just being a filler on the fourth line they gave him a purpose and he's definitely he's definitely served it well since so that was that game and then on saturday's game this was the best game of the season and i have not said those words in a really long time it was it was an awesome game it was an amazing game complete 60 minute game and they never collapsed with the lead when they had the lead that they built for themselves they never collapsed and a huge portion of that or a lot a huge portion of the credit for never collapsing with the lead goes to Campbell because again stood on his head he made a lot of a lot a lot of quality saves a couple breakaways couple odd man rushes he stood on his head did amazing it was a very offensive game strong like I said never collapsed with the lead normally in the last few minutes if it's like 3-1 or 2-1 or something we'll switch to playing fully defensive you know everyone goes absolutely crazy and, and very nervous because we're stuck in our zone for like the last five to seven minutes this game though we kept on pushing the offense even though we had the 3-1 lead with five minutes to go kept on pushing that offense very strong defensive game and also a tough and gritty game from us Again, the only thing that wasn't good was the power play still, but other than that, absolutely amazing. Now, the tough and gritty part that I'm talking about could have been in response to all the crap that they got from the previous game, but whatever it was, I loved it, and they need to make sure that kind of intensity stays. Like I said, don't lose that spark. Whatever irritated them, don't lose it. Keep it with you. Looking at what they did this game against a team like the Jets, you know, everyone says the Jets are super tough, super gritty team. It proves the capability that the that the Leafs have to actually use their size and their toughness and actually have it pay off. I mean, look what they did. 
look what they were able to do against a tough team and opponent in the Jets. You know, it just shows the amount of capability that they have and the potential that they have that they can actually play like that. They've just been hiding it or not using it or preventing them from using it, whatever. They've just, they've been hiding it for whatever reason. And this shows that they can play at a super high, intense level like a team like the Jets can. And if they're able to keep this type of play consistent for the rest of the season and going into the playoffs, especially when they play against other other teams and other divisions, it'll be good for them and they'll continue to see positive results because like I said, teams like Boston or Tampa or whoever it is, they haven't played us at all this season. So the team that they remember is the team from last season, the team that doesn't hit, the team that, you know, is is pure skill. That's the team that they remember. So if they're able to keep this up, they're going to catch them by surprise. They're going to be able to catch them by surprise. And if they're able to stay on their toes and keep this going, they'll get positive results for sure. And also it'll create a name for them. I mean, it's already created a name for the Leafs being labeled as a dirty team, which makes absolutely no sense because literally we've been receiving so much crap from all teams the entire season. And the second that we stand up for ourselves and throw a couple hits we're labeled as a dirty team, which makes no sense. And I think that it should label the Jets as a whining team that just likes to whine about about being hit because, you know, they never they never thought that a team could do to them what they do to other teams. You know, we gave them a taste of their own medicine and they cried. So in terms of specifics and who who exactly got into it in this game on Saturday, there was Thornton and Simmons who got into it with uh, Ehlers and Dubois. Thornton did get a couple penalties, which I was not very thrilled about, especially the second one, because as soon as he got out of the box, he literally just went right after the guy. But at that point, at that point in the game, it was worth it. If we didn't have the lead, then I would be saying otherwise, but it was worth it. And like I said, we took so much crap from them the game before and, you know, just things that they were saying in their interviews and stuff. Like we took so much crap being labeled a dirty team and all of that. So it's good to see them both, Simmons and Thornton, standing up for themselves and standing up for the team to show that they can't be pushed around. You know, you want to you wanna call us a dirty team, then that's what you're going to get, pretty much. And then there was also Sandin. He got into it a bit after he stood up Wheeler, which honestly was totally clean. Sandin knew Wheeler was coming from behind him, so he literally just stood tall, stood his ground, stayed stayed firm on his feet, and Wheeler ran into his back and got hit. Like, oh well. That, like, I don't know what to say. Sandin's also considerably smaller than Wheeler, too. So it was a good hit to see you. It was good that he was able to, you know, stand strong and stuff like that. But, I mean, he got hit. Like, so what? It's not like it was a dirty hit. He ran into his back. So I don't, I don't know what people were expecting to come out of that. But anyway, yeah. And then the Jets, like I said, they were just embellishing all night whining about every single thing because they were getting run over by us. And I, I guess they just couldn't keep up with us. That was the moral of that game. Jets couldn't keep up. So those are all the game recaps. Week started off bad, but it ended amazing. Coming up next, if you want to hear who the player of the week is, make sure you stay tuned. All right, so it is now time for the player of the week. And this week I have chosen Rasmus Sandin. He's my player of the week and the main reason that I chose him was because he solidified his spot in the lineup in one game. It took him all of one game to show 
everyone, basically, that he deserves a permanent spot in this lineup. And when Bogosian returns, it's him that's in, not Dermot. Dermot's been playing all season, okay? When I say that I haven't noticed him, like, at all, I really mean that I haven't noticed him at all. I've noticed Bogosian, for sure. Dermot? No, it's like Bogosian's on the ice there by himself. I don't know what it is because, you know, Dermot's played before and he's played great and he's had a huge impact, a lot of contributions. Just this season, I don't know if he's, maybe he's receiving less ice time. I'm not sure about that, but I don't know if it's the less ice time or what it is, but even at the beginning of the season, before the season started, I was praising Dermot and saying that, you know, I he needs to stay on the team and like he's going to be the next Riley and like all of this. I take that all back. You know, I, I still like him. I think he's a quality defenseman, but when it comes to choosing Sandin or, or Dermot, I would go with Sandin because honestly, I think these last couple games, Sandin has been the best defenseman that we've had on the ice. And that's saying a lot because we've got, I mean, Riley hasn't been, hasn't been playing too well at all this entire season. Uh, he has stepped up a few times, but he's, he's another question mark. But we've got, you know, Muzzin, we've got, uh, Hall has been doing amazing this season too. He's stepped up a lot from where he was last season and Brody as well. So, you know, saying that Sandin has been the best defenseman on the ice these past couple of games, that says a lot. And that's, that's being said for someone who has barely played any hockey in the last year or so. He hasn't played any consistent hockey whatsoever. Uh, in the, I'm pretty sure it's been it's been around a year. So being able to come up to the Leafs after an injury too and play the way that he's been playing, he's done amazing. Definitely above expectations. I don't think anyone expected him to play the way that he's been playing. I mean, he's throwing hits like the one that we saw against Wheeler. He got into a little bit of a scrap. It wasn't a full fight because the ref stopped it, but he got into a little bit of a scrap after that as well. He's throwing hits everywhere, sticking up for himself and his teammates that's huge, especially for a defenseman in your defensive zone. He has an incredible hockey IQ. His hockey knowledge is like through the roof. Honestly, I highly recommend the next game, just watch him when he's on the ice. Just watch how he plays with the puck and without the puck. You know, he takes time to think about his next move and every pass and shot that he makes and the way that he skates is incredible. You can tell that he really, like, he knows the game inside and out. He knows what he's doing 100% of the time. He also got a uh, first power play unit opportunity at one point in the game on Saturday, replacing Riley. Uh, you know, after saying all that, everything that, that he's able to do, the other D, like I said, on the Leafs, they have to watch out because Sandin's making a huge statement and it's a promising one. And if Keith doesn't choose Sandin over Dermot when Bogosian gets back, I think Keith has Keith has major issues if that if that happens. He's played three games uh, since February. He played one game in February. So he's played three games since then, all which were this past week. He had one assist in the last game and he's a plus three combined plus three in his last three games. Just an amazing presence. I'd just recommend just watch him the next game when he's on the ice. Just watch what he does. Watch how he moves the puck. Watch how he skates. It's uh, it's it's incredible. He's he's a really great he's a really great defenseman and I really, really, really hope that they keep him in the lineup. So that was the player of the week. Now I want to move to the main takeaways. There are quite a few so but the bright side is that they're all pretty much positive so first one and uh this is probably the biggest one why brooks and sandin are different than robertson 
So I'm going to talk about Brooke specifically later, but basically the same thing as Sandin. He's done absolutely amazing. Huge, huge amount of contribution and presence from him. So with Robertson, what I've been saying about him is that Robertson wasn't ready to receive a permanent spot in the lineup. And pretty much the only reason he played was because of you know, injury and, and like all that stuff going on. But you could tell with the way that Robertson played, the way that he played with the puck and everything. And, you know, he has speed and, and skill and he plays with the puck well and all of that, but he can't quite use them together as effectively just yet. I mean, when he's skating up with the puck into the offensive zone, for example, he often loses the puck and often isn't able to keep control of it or, or whatnot. So, he has yet to figure out how to use his speed and his skill effectively together. He also, another major, major, major thing, he did not have a clear and defined role on the team. He, like I said, he showed up on the second, on the third, on the fourth line. There was never a specific role or spot where he really excelled or a place where everyone was like, yeah, you know, like he needs to be there over everyone else. You know, he deserves that second line spot over Galchenyuk, over Hyman, over Felino, over whoever. There was there was no space or spot that he fit on the lineup that said he deserves that spot over everyone else. Like I said, we have Galchenyuk and Makayev and Engvall who have more experience. They've been playing all season, uh, minus Galchenyuk, but he's an exception because he's been absolutely amazing and those three guys Galchenyuk, Mikhaev, Engvall they have a more defined role that receives precedence and priority over Robertson receiving his trial period because like I said given the time of the season that we're in there's no time to be taking out someone who has a clear and defined role who has who has the ability to use all of their skills effectively together there's no point or no sense in taking someone like that out and replacing them with someone who doesn't have a clear and defined role and who can't use their skills and their speed and all of that effectively together given the time of the season it, that just wouldn't make sense and that's the reason Galchenyuk and Makayev I mean Engvall's out now because of Felino but there's no reason that Galchenyuk and Mikhaev should be the ones sitting out in place of Robertson because, like I said, Galchenyuk deserves no other spot than the second line right now and Mikhaev deserves no other spot than the third line right now. That's where they've been playing all season. That's where they deserve to stay and it wouldn't make sense to throw Robertson in there and take one of them out. So with Brooks and Sandin, it's different because they have those clear and defined roles and they are, they're needed where they are no one else has really been able to do anything that deserves precedence in those spots so for Sandin it was more of an opportunity because of Bogosian's injury and they had just you know slotted him in in place of Dermot one game even when Bogosian does get back Sandin has done more for Leafs D in the last two games than Dermot has done all season so there's no there should be no priority given to Dermot there Sandin is offensive, defensive, tough, and he just plays really smart hockey. He needs to be there. He has proven that he deserves priority and that his role on the team is going to be there. So that's for Sandin. For Brooks, that fourth line spot between Spezza and Thornton has been given to so many people and no one has really been able to do much of anything there. You know, every every guy that's been in that spot, you know, it's kind of just like a line that's thrown together and thrown on the ice. But with Brooks slotted in there, you know, he went in there and honestly, he's made that fourth line into a much more offensive line and he's added a new perspective and everything. 
I mean, it's not like they took someone from the third line and put him to the fourth. They brought in someone totally new. I don't I don't remember how many games, if any, he had played before this past week, but they brought in someone basically totally new and said, here, try this guy, and it just worked. And he seems to be a perfect fit between those two. Out of everyone that has been in that spot, Brooks has definitely had the most positive impact and the most positive performance. And if that means, if Brooks being in means Engvall being out, I'm all here for it. I say go for it. And I say it's worth it because it works. And if you ask Spezza and Thornton off the record, they'd say the exact same thing. Engvall is fast, but the finish isn't there. And same with Mikhaev. He's fast, but the finish isn't there. That's been the problem with that third line the entire season, uh, except when Hyman was there. But that's been the main problem that entire season for that line is that the speed is there, but the finish isn't. Now, the difference between Mikhaev and Engvall and why Mikhaev is in and Engvall's out is that Mikhaev can be used more. For example, Mikhaev's penalty kill and, you know, his ability to back check and all that, it's a lot more impressive and more dependable than Engvall's is. So that's why over that's why those two are that's why Mikhaev is chosen over Engvall even when Hyman gets back that spot that fourth line spot is is to Brooks and that's when Mikhaev would I mean it would be Mikhaev or Kerfoot but I'm pretty sure that's when Mikhaev would see the door so it's also for Brooks and Sandin it's not really a trial period for them because like I said they were given one game and in that one game they both proved that they're needed and that they deserve to be there also come playoff time for Robertson when he was in, like, he he proved that he was good, but he didn't prove that he was better than anyone else that had been in the spot that he was in in the lineup. That's what he didn't do. It's okay, because he's still really young, and I don't think anyone really expected him to uh, earn a permanent spot right now. It's just there's so much other talent on the team that fits in those spots that, that he was trying to fit in, and he just doesn't have a spot there right now, which is totally okay. It's just for the other two, their role on the team is somewhere that was pretty much unfilled prior to them coming in. I mean, Dermot wasn't really doing anything. And like I said, that fourth line spot wasn't really doing anything either. So they kind of went in and filled a role that was relatively unfilled as of that point. So that's why uh, Brooks and Sandin are different than Robertson. And I wanted to point this one out because I know I, I was speaking about how you shouldn't put a guy in right now considering how close we are to playoffs, but just wanted to show why Brooks and Sandin are different and why there's an exception for them over Robertson. So the next takeaway has to do with this new Maple Leaf team and the fact that I think I speak for all of Leafs Nation when I say that we want them to stay forever. This came after the Canucks game where Hyman was injured and no one did anything. And honestly, basically the entire season where no one ever stood up for the rest of the team. Goalies got the worst of it, but even our star players being run over, no one doing anything, no one taking a number, no one doing any any of that. For the amount of chemistry and friendship that this team has and that, that the players even talk about so openly... I'm really surprised it took them this long to show at least some amount of toughness and support for their teammates. It took all season. I know everyone's making a big deal of it, and I know it's only been two games, so it's kind of not much of a trend or a pattern has developed to be able to say, you know, this team is going to continue playing like this and this is their new identity. I know that, but I'm just kind of saying it more like I hope that it stays, and if this identity becomes their new identity, it will be enormous for the franchise for the team the organize for everyone it will be huge it is so good to see it's so refreshing 
because we have been asking and waiting for this for the longest time because we knew that this is what they were capable of. We knew that what they did on Saturday, they could have been doing all season because we've been saying, look at the guys that you have. Look at Thornton. Look at Muzzin. Look at Bogosian. Look at Simmons. Look at all of the guys that you have and tell me why they haven't been used like that for the entire season. Why is it that just now it's coming out? I mean, the only thing it would have done is increase our cushion of first place, but still, I mean, it's it's really surprising that it took them this long to figure out to figure out how to do it or or to figure out that they need to be using it. And again, I just want to hope that it's consistent and not just the toughness, but the level of goaltending, defense, and offense that 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 game on Saturday and Thursday saw as well. So, I mean, I think the toughness helped us have that higher level of defense and offense and goaltending because it's like a, it's a motivator. I've talked about this before, using toughness. It's a motivator. It picks up your team. It fires up your team. And you make a big hit on one end, it increases the energy of the rush going the other way. So that's what they need to be doing more of. And that's what they were doing this game, which is why it worked so well. And I mentioned earlier as well, like there was this spark. I'm not sure what it was. And my gut feeling would be that it's because of what was happening with the Jets on the ice on Thursday and I feel like there were just words being thrown back and forth and they were you know chirping each other all of that and I guess I don't know something happened that triggered the team and like that's when Simmons jumped on that guy for for uh jumping on Campbell and all that stuff and then also based on the post-game interviews and what Paul Maurice had said which was totally like totally unnecessary basically calling us a dirty team but all of that and everything that carried into Saturday now if that's what the spark was there's the concern that it might be lost because you know it might have just been to serve the purpose to run the Jets out of their own arena so there's that concern I just hope that they're able to keep it consistent though and keep that spark and remember what made them so angry against the Jets these two games and use that moving forward turn that into something where you know the Leafs have to feel or the Leafs feel like they have to prove something now, that their success isn't because they're in an easy division, but that their success is because they have skill and that they're on an all-around good team. If they shift their focus and they shift that spark into proving that they are a good team and that they deserve that number one spot and it's not because they're in an easy division, if they use that, it would be a better motivator, especially in the games against the the lesser teams like the Canucks and and the Senators and, and all of that. So so yeah, this this new look for the Leafs, it'll be really good as a motivator and as a push going to the playoffs because they need to be playing with this grit and intensity. And I mentioned it before, when they start to mix with other divisions, it'll catch them by surprise because they remember the Leafs team that played them last season. They don't remember this Leafs team, which is why it's so important to keep that spark, keep that focus on trying to prove themselves and keep that push keep that motivation and guys like Thornton and Simmons and Felino too and Muzzin and Sand and all of them they have to keep that grit and intensity so that you know if they need to they can turn it on in a second to fire up their team those core guys those core tough guys need to keep that intensity with them they cannot lose that we cannot afford Simmons losing that again we cannot afford Thornton you know, dipping from his new role so early, right? So those are the first two takeaways. We're going to take a short break and coming up next, I will resume going over my takeaways. So stay tuned. All right, so moving on to takeaway number three. 
a topic that a lot of people I think don't like to talk about but it's the Leafs versus bad teams and the Leafs versus good teams basically that the when Leafs play bad teams I don't know something happens and they completely shut down and when they play the good teams they it's like they discover something totally brand new and they like blow them away so my conclusion from this is that the Leafs show up when their position is challenged when they're playing the lesser teams I don't know if it's the mindset or you know the idea that they're going and playing a lesser team or what it is but whenever they do that mindset that they have going into that game causes them to try less or to shut down or whatever it is and they end up losing when they play the better teams like Edmonton or Winnipeg there's that extra sense and you can even you can see it you can tell there's an extra sense of intensity and urgency because they feel threatened and they feel that their position is being challenged so they step up and in those games you can see the way that they make their passes is so much cleaner the way that they enter the zones is so much cleaner the way that they take the puck out of their own zone so much cleaner it's just like two completely different teams and that again speaks to the lack of consistency which was a concern in terms of you know people saying that they hope that the team that showed up on Saturday kind of continues to show up for the rest of the season and there's that concern that we know that the Leafs have inconsistency and that's been a struggle for a while not just this season so that's that concern there it's confusing but it is at least a bit of relief that you know to know that the Leafs can step up when they really need to and it happened before too I think it was the series against Edmonton when we swept them all three or four games whatever it was I believe at that point if we had lost those games to Edmonton we would have lost our hold of first place what did the Leafs do they showed up and they won four in a row or three in a row and they swept them. Same thing happened here against the Jets. If we lost both games, our position of first would be would be threatened or uh, we would have lost hold of first place or whatever. You know, after coming off of that that bad those bad two games against the Canucks, they stepped up and they said, No, this is our this is our spot. We're we're the first place team. Get out of here. And then they swept them two games. So I don't know, like it's definitely some sort of mindset or something. And it would be good to have them play a good against bad teams, but it's at least good they can hold their ground when challenged. And it's good to know I mean it's weird but it's good to know that in a sense they're better than the toughest teams in the division and like I said it's weird because then they go in and drop a bunch to Ottawa and Vancouver and all of them like completely confusing but we know that their potential is better than the other strong teams in the division and I guess that's what matters but it's still pretty frustrating so and that being said this week will be interesting because we're playing the Canadians and the Canucks so it's going to be an interesting week to see if they can keep the consistency level at an all-time high. All right, so moving on, another pair I wanted to talk about was Nylander and Tavares. They're picking it up at just the right time. Nylander has seven points in five games. He also got the only two primary assists on both of the Leafs' power play goals since basically forever. Tavares has eight points in five games. They have been getting a lot of help from Galchenyuk when he's been there, but Nylander and Tavares are starting to become a pair like Matthews and Marner, where them two on their own can do whatever they want. They can generate enough. And soon it won't necessarily matter who their third guy is because with Matthews and Marner, that's basically how it is. You throw any third guy on there, Matthews and Marner will still do what Matthews and Marner can do best. Now with Tavares and Nylander, they're heading in that direction. They're not exactly there yet, 
they still need a consistent guy on with them, but they are definitely heading in that direction where, you know, soon enough, it won't matter if it's Galchenyuk or Hyman or Felino on there, Tavares and Nylander will do what Tavares and Nylander can do best. Tavares specifically has stepped up a lot recently in terms of leadership on the ice as well, not just in terms of skill and scoring. He has really made his presence more known on the ice in terms of, you know, being a big guy and being a leader and all of that. Hopefully, the two of them can transfer that into the playoffs because as of now, we have at least three solid scoring lines, first, second, and fourth. The third line has always been kind of iffy, and hopefully with Hyman coming back, it'll be more more solidified, especially with that third line too, so, so that'll be good, but Nealer and Tavares doing amazing things. Speaking of doing amazing things, I also wanted to use a takeaway to give Foligno a first week review. So he's got two points in two games, both assists, still awaiting that first goal, but most definitely coming soon. He hasn't been a completely noticeable presence. Like he hasn't done anything like absolutely amazing, but he's been a good person to have there. He's been throwing his, he's been throwing hits, uh, having that leadership presence. He's definitely been a big guy. You can tell. I wasn't impressed when they said he was starting on the first line because I thought it was, it was a mistake. It was actually pretty amazing and I took it back like as soon as I realized how how he was playing on that first line. I mean, like I just finished saying, it doesn't necessarily matter who is on that first line. I do still believe that Hyman is better there and depending on the extent to Hyman's injury, Keith might feel more comfortable putting Hyman on the third line and possibly not giving him as much ice time right away to kind of ease him back into it. So there's one option. And especially knowing that Polino still does okay on that first line, you're they're pretty comfortable in moving Hyman to the third because they've also done so before. But if that's not a concern and he's like fully healthy, fully ready to go, you know, he's not holding back or anything, I would still prefer Hyman on that first line because I think the connection between the three of them is undeniable and Hyman needs ice time to be able to show what he has or have any, you know, major impact. And then I still think Felino's home should be the third line because, you know, Kerfoot and uh, Kerfoot and Simmons need need another solid guy on there. I mean, you have Simmons and Felino on the line together. I think that could be really good because they're two, they're two uh, big guys and I feel like they'd be able to, to work well together. So I still do think that that's what the setup should be like, but we won't talk about that until more in detail until Jaime gets back. But we know that with Felino being brought in, uh, Engvall is most likely done. Makaev will most likely be done when Hyman gets back as well because Galchenyuk, or it could be Kerfa, but either way, it's it's Engvall and either Makaev or Kerfa because Galchenyuk and Brooks have, they're good, they're solid, they need to stay where they are. And then, you know, I talked about possibly sitting Simmons and Thornton. I obviously take that back now, especially after the last few games, and I think they proved that we need them in the playoffs. We need those kind of guys in the playoffs. If they can do that in the playoffs, then we need them to be there. So overall, Nick Felino had an amazing first week or first couple games, and hopefully he can keep the Leafs from showing up as the wrong team when we play Montreal and Vancouver. All right, so keeping on the theme of talking about players, my next takeaway is Wayne Simmons. So he has since reverted to his play prior to his injury which is a very good sign for the Leafs, given the time of the season that we're in. Stepping back into his role as a tough guy, as a strong guy, who will pretty much do anything to hype up his team. And again, when you're in a playoff atmosphere, and this past these past two games have 
felt like a major playoff atmosphere when you're in that kind of mindset it's definitely it's needed to have someone like Simmons there and Thornton too the way that he was playing so he started in the game he started it in the game on Thursday sticking up for Campbell it led into Saturday hyped the whole team which led to the whole team being tough and aggressive and strong on Saturday as well that's what he needs to be doing every game because look what it did for the rest of the team you know, he, that, that was his role before and that needs to be his role now because that's what we need. We don't need another score. We don't need another shooter. We don't need another defend, defensive uh, forward. We don't need that right now. We have that. We need a tough guy because Simmons and Thornton are pretty much the only two that we have on, as our forwards that are tough guys and he needs to, he needs to come to terms with that being his new role and if he sticks like how he did this Thursday and Saturday, he'll be solid. I think my favorite part and what he did this week was when he shut down what Maurice was saying and Simmons basically said, every time they've played the Jets, the Jets have tried to run the Leafs out of the building and the second that the Leafs throw a couple hits, they're considered a dirty team, which he said makes no sense and he said that they were just defending themselves. Sticking up for his team like that, I mean, he did it on the ice, but in the, in the face of the media and stuff, it's something that the Leafs have never vocally or publicly done, and it's a good sign. I just, I really, really, really hope that it stays because it's super important, especially going into the playoffs, and we know that they can do it because of the chemistry that this team has. So speaking on this as well, Joe Thornton and his new role, part two, Part one was last week and I was basically trashing him saying that Thornton's new role is not good. Take that back because similar to Simmons, Thornton has been really tough. He's been a big presence as well these last couple games. Looking at what he did on Saturday, it's clear that he understands his new role and he's stepping into it rather well. It's good to see that the Leafs found another really effective way to use Thornton after they realized he didn't really fit the skill uh, skill level type anymore and that they had enough guys to do that, that now they needed something else. And it's good that they were able to, rather than just leave him in the lineup, like I said before, find another way to utilize him. And so far, it's been a huge help. So I hope that him and Simmons can kind of connect to one another and help each other hype up the team and get them going, especially in games like we're going to see in the playoffs and in games like we're going to see this week against Montreal and Vancouver. So finally, I wanted to talk about Adam Brooks. Same to Sandin. Same as Sandin. He solidified his spot in just one game. Talked about him a bit earlier, so I'll keep it short, but he's been really impressive. He's a perfect fit for that fourth line role. Again, you know, saying how he's different from Robertson and all that stuff. He, He only needed one game to prove he needs to be there and to prove that The fourth line spot is his. He did that very well and he's been doing very well ever since. So I really hope that he stays in the lineup as well. Also, last thing, just wanted to say we got a playoff glimpse. Kind of mentioned it already. These last couple games, we got a glimpse into the playoffs uh, and what the intensity is going to look like. Hopefully, it was also a glimpse into what the Leafs are going to look like in the playoffs. I really hope that they can keep that consistent and also keep that energy consistent because if they do... It looks good. It looks really good. It's the new identity that gave that playoff glimpse. And if they had played like they had in the past, it wouldn't have really felt like that. But because the Leafs, it wasn't just the Jets turning it up. It was the Leafs turning it up as well. And because of that, you know, it it sparked them and it created so much more intensity. They play well when they're under pressure. We know that whenever their position is challenged, they play well. They play well under pressure. So, you know, when it's a high intensity game, they're going to play well if they respond in this way because they 
they do respond well when they're placed under pressure. So I hope that it stays and it doesn't go away. So those are all for the takeaways this week. It was, like I said, topsy-turvy week. One end of the week we were horrible, the other end we were fantastic. So the next week is all up in the air. We play Montreal on Wednesday and then we play Vancouver on Thursday and Saturday. It's going to be an interesting week, like I said, because we know that the Leafs don't tend to play as well against those teams. Also, having said that, it's going to be an interesting one because of how we ended off on Thursday and Saturday and because we're getting three days of, of rest. So it's going to be interesting to see what team comes off of it and interesting again to see if Simmons, Thornton, and Felino can keep the team hyped up and energized during this rest period and moving into the game on Wednesday. Final reminder... If this week has proved anything, it's that the potential that the Leafs have as a team in terms of success and skill and capability. So if a loss does come our way this week, which is possible, just take a deep breath. So that is all for me this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope that you took a lot from it and are as excited as I am about the next few days and about the rest of the season for the Leafs and what it will look like. There's only eight games left, I believe, so it's going to be interesting. As always, you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach out to me on my Instagram at thathockeychick. Until next week, go Leafs go! Once again, my name is Antonia Mendelia and I'm That Hockey Chick. <laughs>